Hello and welcome to another episode of the Global Urban Professional Podcast. Uh, this podcast is a podcast about business and well, global business and pop culture, actually. Um, my name is Ramon Cuenca. Uh, I am the creator uh, of Global Urban Professional. Also, by the way, before I forget, this podcast is also a, a companion podcast to the, to the webcomic of the same name, which I am promoting all the time. So if you like what I listen, if you like what you hear, please do read my comic. You can you can find the uh, description, uh, or sorry, excuse me, the links in the, uh, in the in the description. Sorry, I'm really tired. It's it's really late here, and I've had a really intense intense and insane week. Uh, but yeah, anyways, I'll do my best to be coherent for this podcast. Okay. So, all right. Um. Uh, this uh, today's episode is going to be about, or this week's episode is going to be about um, trade, the U.S. Biden and trade, uh, and also tech. So, um, some of you may be aware that uh, this past Sunday, November 15, twenty twenty, um, there was uh, big news in the Asia Pacific region. Um, basically, um, let's see. Uh, a bunch of um, countries, so um, Japan, uh, South Korea, New Zealand, Australia, and the uh, 10 members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, so Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, the Philippines where I currently live, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam, they all signed this uh, trade agreement, this major trade agreement uh, with China. And uh, some are saying it's one of the biggest trade deals, if not by some measures, the biggest trade deal in history. Uh, it's called uh, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP. It creates a regional block that, that covers, basically this is a, a third of the global economy is from this region, so that's a big deal. Um, so uh, even though, and, and um, obviously... This impacts the uh, international relations and uh, international prosperity and peace a lot. And, of course, the U.S. at some point is going to have to get involved in one way or another. And we'll talk more about that later. So, it's true that there was already a bunch of trade deals. There were, there were already a bunch of trade deals in the region before this deal on this past Sunday. Uh, this is a big, um, this is a big um, step in uh, trading, um, regional trading, because uh, it, it results theoretically in a, in a more unified trading system. So, ideally, ease in uh, import and export, lower tariffs, etc. Theoretically, so we'll get to that also in a second. Uh, according to Japan, so I'm actually reading from this uh, Wall Street Journal article, which I have up here, Asia Pacific article, uh, countries sign major trade pact. In the test, in test for Biden, so uh, I'm just reading some excerpts from this, uh, from this, um, from this article. According to Japan's government, the RCEP will eliminate tariffs tariffs on 91% of goods among members. It will slice trade barriers with many of Japan's largest trading partners, raising the the level of non-tariff items sent to South Korea to 92% from 19%. That's a lot, and to China to. To to eighty six percent from eight percent, so yeah, that's huge. Um, so this is about 
again, this is a significant amount of global GDP and also a third, roughly a third of the, of the world's population. So a third of humanity, as it were. Um, or, yeah, around 30% of the people in the world. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go through a few articles I read about this. And some, some, some of them made some, or all of them made some very good points. And that's why I'm talking about them. But I want to I want to talk about uh I want to go up to our next article about this from uh, Nikkei Asia, so. This is um, Biden says U.S. needs to align with democracies after RCEP signing. Uh, so according to Biden, I mean uh, someone uh, uh, president-elect U.S. president-elect Joe Biden answered the question about the U.S. whether the U.S. should consider joining the RCEP. Right, he said, and I'm just reading. I'm just reading. It's just, I'm just reading from Nikkei Asia, which is what I'm, I'm quoting them, quoting Biden, saying, uh, "We make up 25 percent of the world's trading capacity of the economy of the world." This is this is Biden talking about the U.S. We need to be aligned with other democracies, another 25 percent or more, so that we can set the rules of the road. Right. So, obviously, this is this is in a response to potential what's called uh, he he hegemony by, by China in the region and, and eventually if if less if left unchecked uh, the, the whole world so again uh, quoting I'm quoting Nikkei quoting Biden I promise you I have a pretty thorough plan and I will be, be prepared to announce that to you on January 21 the day after his inauguration okay um, so again I'm, I'm quoting Nikkei now uh, he had called the briefing to deliver his first economic address as president-elect in Wilmington, Delaware, laying out plans to create 18.6 million jobs and, and, uh, and step up federal investment in clean energy research. So for any of you who have listened to my previous podcast uh, and even my old YouTube videos from, from a couple of years ago, uh, this is a, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been big on the U.S. getting into this. I think uh, them... Uh, uh, getting uh, have the, I think the, I think the U.S. having a, having an advantage in um, clean energy is the way to go. That's where they should go in the in terms of uh, a, you know a unified global economy with um, um, com uh, uh, competitive advantage. Okay, Biden did lay out three requisites for any new trade agreements the U.S. sets out to make. So like, here's here's uh, uh, Biden. One, we're going to invest in American workers and make them more competitive, he said. Number two, we're going to make sure that labor is at the table and environmentalists are at the table in any trade deals we make. So it's interesting he brings up uh, labor and trade, uh, excuse, me, excuse me, labor and, and environmentalists, because these are, these are, the, big, uh, these are the big concerns uh, or critiques. These sort of areas were critiqued uh, with the previous proposed trade deal before Trump became president. Uh, the TPP, which is going to be a regional trade deal in Asia involving the U.S. under, which is uh, going to be signed under the Obama administration. So, uh, and then, I mean, some of you had uh, had uh, listened to my previous uh, podcast about this issue. I think that was two pod two episodes ago, where I talked about the TPP. All right, so. So it's, I mean, obviously, like, you know, trade is political, and uh, some of you know my views on, on it, and, I, and uh, my, view, my view basically is that uh, global um, economics, uh, trade, and global, in the global economy, as much as possible, has to be depoliticized, and, I, and for me, 
I would want countries, people, uh, educated people. I mean, first of all, I think everyone should be money money literate. So this is why I'm, this is partially why I'm doing global urban professional. But also, uh, I think uh, the the citizen uh, citizenship or excuse me citizen citizenry. Sorry, I'm really tired. Um, across different countries, especially the liberal democracies, should talk to each other. And there should be a greater cooperation worldwide. So that's my whole point of view, and some would even say my bias. But anyways, all right. So I want to talk about here's 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 another article. Um, this is at Asia Times. It's an article by William Pezek, who some of you know. I'm I'm quite a fan of because he he writes so well about uh, the Asian uh, uh, Asia Pacific region. Um, so anyways, um, he talks about, I mean, this, his view in this article, like, so, so listen to this. Okay. The, the headline is U S sidelined as China, Korea, and Japan unite. So this is again by William Pezek. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, okay. So I'm just going to read some passages here and talk about it, about, about them. Okay. So he's saying, uh, the agreement, he's referring to the RCEP, the agreement cons constitutes two important firsts, namely the first bilateral move to lower barriers between Japan and South Korea, and the first time, and the first time three of Asia's four biggest economies genuinely compartmentalized economic cohesion away from still fraught political ma uh, machinations. So basically, if you've been following uh, East Asian politics at all, even for a little bit, then I know I, I know not so much, but I just I do read the headlines. Uh, um, political relations between China, South Korea, and Japan are quite quite a low point right now. But in, despite all that, this this trade agreement has been signed, uh, which I think in that sense is good because it is depoliticizing trade um, again because we need trade. Um, you know, and uh, economic coordination for global prosperity. Again, you're you're listening to a podcast called Global Urban Professional, right? Okay, so back to the article. Uh, the 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 Japan South Korea part of the deal is perhaps most impressive of all. For years, the U.S. sought to bring its two squabbling allies closer together and failed. Tokyo Seoul relations are are now at an. Uh, Nadir, Nadir, I can't remember how to pronounce this word, but it's at, at, at a Nadir in a tense uh, squabble over wartime uh, forced labor compensation. Uh, so it's it's funny because China has been able to do what the U.S. has not been able to do with two countries that are sort of that have never that have never got along with each other that well at, at points, and even with China, which is interesting. So. Basically, the the gist I'm getting from this article is that Trump really botched a lot of things in terms in this in this part of uh in this part of the world and in this uh in this arena. Okay. So, anyway, skipping over a few a few paragraphs, trade officials in Tokyo insist that coaxing the Biden administration back into the TPP fold is Japan's priority. So, TPP that thing still exists, right? From there, Japan would encourage Biden to pull South Korea, Indonesia, and the, the Philippines, and perhaps even India into the, the TPP. Australia, another TPP enthusiast, harbors similar hopes that Biden will resurrect a pact that lacks a certain depth without U.S. involvement. So yeah, TPP. So the, even though 
uh, there's a deal with China. People still want to deal with the U.S. So that's still good in, in my view. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm um, I'm a liberal all the way. Um. Okay. Uh, so again, this is something that Pezik mentions that hasn't been mentioned in any of the other other articles I've read. Uh, there's a reason economists and investors are having trouble valuing the RCEP and governments are hard pressed to explain its machinations. So far, it remains an aspirational document agreed to via video conference. So again, the the devil's in the details, but there's not that much detail in this document. The challenge now is turning good intentions into a nuts and bolts, enforceable commercial con contract that distributes power equitably. It's a big task, but that's what we want. That's what we want. One stumbling block is the coming yet pivotal, quote unquote, legal scrubbing process. This is when lawyers, translators, and technocrats from 14 nations that are not named China <laughs> Go through the deal line by line, phrase by phrase, adjective by adjective, qualifier by qualifier, and colloquialism by colloquialism to ensure two things. One is that uh, RCP really does promote uh, free trade. Uh, true, two, that all, when all is said, done, and linguistically scrubbed by the grouping, uh, scrub the grouping doesn't place China with undue power at the center of supply chain. So basically, uh, Pezik also mentions... Um, how uh, China, when China joined the WTO, the World Trade Organization, in 2001, uh, there was an artful phrasing, apparently, with, 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 with which, uh, quote, uh, Beijing used to leverage greater global market shares. So there's a lot of, you know, um, like what he's talking about, machinations. I mean, think about, you know, how, think about how, um, I guess that's sort of an East Asian road to development, sort of, that's maybe potentially pirated by Japan is that to keep your uh, your uh, your currency low and make your exports competitive so I mean I mean that's you know that's up for debate but that's just one way to look at it okay uh, the RCEP aims to eliminate about 65 percent of tariffs and quotas on imported and exported goods It's, it sets common standards for rules of origin, making it easier to produce goods across borders. But Pezik points, and I'm, I'm just, uh, sorry, end quotes. Uh, but Pezik points to one thing that is really important, and this is what uh, is not mentioned in the RC, RCEP, and that is uh, intellectual property rights, labor and environmental standards, and uh, most importantly in China's context, sub subsidies for state-owned enterprises. So these are the reasons, These are, and then Pezik actually points out these are the reasons uh, why Asian nations were, were interested initially in joining, in joining TPP previously. Um, okay. So yeah. Anyways, um, okay. So I want to bring up another, so that's a William Pezik, but I want to bring up another article uh, this is foreign policy. This is an interesting one because it's it's not it's it's uh it says uh trade is basically not as important as technologies in terms of foreign relations. So note that the article is called Note to Biden, forget trade, the real war with China is over tech. So this is more of um you know, I, I agree with this uh, the author Salvatore Babones, I guess he's uh what, what is he? I'm I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He is a Regular contributor to foreign policy and an adjunct adjunct scholar at the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. But uh, some of these things I agree with. Some of them I don't. Um, obviously, again, uh, full disclosure. I'm I'm totally like a, 
a liberal demo- democrat mainstream globalist type so quote-unquote globalist or internationalist or multi multilateralist as far as my own views go okay so but he's, he makes some good points here so uh basically uh his point is that uh globalization is not just about trade it's it's it's, it's more about technology now uh in some ways um let's see Uh, he's saying that quote unquote Biden will have to learn that dominance in technological networks is key to success. Um, so even though there's no harm with these saying this, this I'm quoting the author now. Even though there's, uh, I mean, there's no harm in trying to re- to reshore some manufacturing, as Biden talked about during the campaign. But it's not going to shift the geo geo geoeconomic balance of power in the Indo Pacific. Uh, if Biden really intends to get tough with China, he'll have to double down on the U.S.-Chinese tech war. Yeah, okay, so I'm sure many of you have been following uh, aspects of that tech war. So, you know, TikTok, Huawei, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this is this part here is pretty pro-Trump. And, uh, I mean, we can, we can debate this, but anyways, look, I'm going to read this now. Con- con- contrary to media portrayals of Trump's trade war as an abject failure, it has actually succeeded in driving down U.S. imports from China. Uh, the seemingly inexorable long-term trend of increasing dependence on China has been reversed, but the reduction in imports from China has had essentially no effect on the overall U.S. merchandise trade deficit, which means uh, U.S. still imports more than it exports. Since supply chains have merely been redirected from China to other East Asian countries, particularly Taiwan and Vietnam. So basically, the, the U.S. sells to import the uh, low-cost components. from Instead of China, it comes from Taiwan and Vietnam. All right, whatever. Um, whatever that, mean, that may mean for manufacturing towns in the U.S. swing states, it's bad news for China. All right, so, so that's uh, that uh, end quote. So... It's interesting he says that because I've been reading and I've been hearing different things about the effect of the trade war uh, on the U.S. Um, uh, if you, I mean, if any of you follow me on Facebook or on social media in general, I'm, I'm a big fan of the of the YouTube channel Visual Politique. It's a Spanish um, political economy channel, basically. I mean, I, I do share, I mean, disclaimer, I do share a lot of their, their views. Um, uh, but they actually said that, I mean, they're... And I, and I actually talked. I actually mentioned this, mentioned this in a previous episode. But um, there are a lot of reasons why the U.S. economy is doing well, or has had been doing relatively well before COVID. Um, and it's not it's not just about trade. A lot of other factors. But what there was there's a there was a recent article, uh, excuse me, video from Visual Politik. I forget which one, but it was very recent as of this date, November 22, twenty twenty. And they they talked about how. Oh yeah, I, I remember now. It's it's a video that's sort of going over the, the pros and cons, like a, like a, a report card on the Trump administration. Um, and they were saying that whatever Trump has done to boost the economy, like cut slash taxes, for example, has sort of been um has been um offset by the trade war with China and, and even other and even other countries, even allies. I mean, uh, basically, tariffs uh, work as a as a tax. It's, it's effectively a tax that uh, U.S. Biz- businesses have to pay. So that's a negative for for the economy in that sense. Anyways, um, 
But see, what's interesting about this guy, uh, uh, this uh, Salvatore Babones, is that he's not, he's not completely pro or anti-Trumpian, I think, because he actually says here, I'm quoting, both Biden's Buy American and Xi's dual circulation strategies signal a shift towards uh, autarky. So basically, uh, both Biden and she have this uh, They have a, a slogan saying, you know, more self reliance, etc. But it's an autarky. But neither he's saying here that uh, neither stand stands much chance of success. So basically, he's saying that uh, you know, there there's there's a high inequality in China and a weak uh, social safety net. Um, you know. Uh, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to boost domestic demand for those reasons, um, and uh, and this is interesting too because and I'm going to read this this part to you here, and despite U.S. presidential candidates' rhetoric in the Rust Belt states, the United States is too rich to ever again become a manufacturing powerhouse, and this this part here is interesting. Listen to this: advanced manufacturing countries like Germany and Japan have levels of national income per capita on par with the poorest U.S. states, which means what he's basically saying is that, like, per capita, the, the U.S. is richer than Japan and Germany. So, I don't know. I don't know about that, but that's what he says. Um, and you know what? B- before I forget, let me just talk about this now. I-, I would like for there to be some kind of economic consensus uh, and that's transmitted globally. So, like, like among economists, they all get together, all the major ones all over the world get together and like have some kind of council and say this, this and that data point is something we endorse. Because, you know, when I read these articles, and maybe you do too, they point to this, this, uh, this economic data or that economic data or this study or that study. But like, like how do we know they're not just cherry, cherry picking information to support their own, their own argument, you know, because... You and I are just, you know, I mean, you and I are just regular, regular, regular people. We don't, we're not economists. We don't think about these, we have no time to think about this full time and delve into the details. But again, the devil is in the details. So we have, there has to be something that's transmitted to the general public. And that's something that, that I would like to see happen personally in the world. Okay, anyways. Um... Let's see. Also, uh, the article was talking about how even though Biden has his rhetoric about, you know, return of American leadership, which is I want, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, regaining its allies. I mean, there's been rows even between allies, which I don't think is good. Um, so, I mean, uh, he, tell you, he brings up the Euro- uh, Europe's uh, treatment uh, to big American big tech. For example, the regulation, European regulators moves against uh, U.S. big tech, so Google, etc. You know, the U.K. really wanted to really wanted to have Huawei's 5G network in its country. Uh, Right. Uh, Yeah. Hold on. I'm just reading some of this. So, yeah, basically you're saying it's not a united front. But you know that could always change with a new president. Who knows? The point is, things are never static. Things are always changing. Things are things are always in flux. Mm. Okay, um, I'm going to quote the this the the Babones. If Biden does decide to end the trade war with China, 
it will probably have little effect on shifting trans-Pacific supply chains because China's increasing domestic oppression, hostility toward foreigners, and general unpredictability will be enough to keep companies away. There's some truth to that, I suppose. Uh, this, this, this is uh, referring to the news earlier this week. Um, when one of the country's most loyal technology titans, Jack Ma, can have, 300, uh, can have the $300 billion initial public offering of Ant Financial canceled at the last minute on Xi's personal orders, foreign investors have, have to know that they don't stand a chance. So yeah, if you, if you recall recently, the Ant Financial IPO was just scuttled by 8 Beijing because uh, Xi Jinping didn't want it. For whatever reason, um, basically, quote unquote, uh, the it showed the world that even Chinese national champions can't risk offending the Communist Party. Yeah, true. Um, okay. Trump's tech war on China. So this, this is sort of a pro-Trump passage. Trump's tech war on China is only about six months old. Uh, but it, but it's but it's already forcing decisive changes in Asian technology networks. South Korean and Taiwanese firm, firms have fallen into line with U.S. US policy and have begun cutting some of their cords to China. And Huawei is on the verge of collapse. Uh, China's long-term strategy to build a domestic semiconductor industry is in shambles. Okay. And this is this is interesting. Follow-on effects are lucky in are likely in related in related industries such as artificial intelligence, cloud computing, and self-driving vehicles. Okay, we'll see about that. Um, China, which has forced foreign firms to transfer technology as the price of entry into its domestic market, now faces the prospect that foreign firms will pass on the Chinese market in order to maintain access to the United States. And consequently, keep the technology to themselves. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a last part about you know maybe the U.S. should just go at it alone instead of multi multilateralism, which I don't agree with, but I, I you know I do agree with some of his points. I mean, I think that yeah, technology is important. I wouldn't say manufacturing is not important though because that's still a lot of jobs. I mean, for the U.S., he's right. I think in that. The, there's no way manufacturing will ever be significantly brought back to the U.S. There has to be an investment in a new in a new sector where the U.S. can have an advantage, and I think it is clean tech. Um, so there's that. Same time, I, I don't I don't agree with just kind of going. At, I mean, um, it's 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 weird because you, I mean, the way the the world's been sort of after the first after the Second World War, it's been a, you know alliances but it's still u.s u.s um u.s led um people are are thinking that that might change but i i have my doubts about that well, i mean we'll see what happens you know a lot of it's it, it, we'll have to see what biden and whatever incoming president does after him to undo whatever trump has done in the past few years the problem is that and these are two articles here for the for the financial times so Joe Biden to remain tough on trade while re-embracing re partners. Um, Biden's Biden's flawed plan for global leadership. So uh, this one, this is an op-ed by Gideon Rackman, who writes a lot for the for the FT for the Financial Times. Uh, what he's saying is that um, um, it, it might be because, and again, for those reasons we've talked about before, I've met, we've mentioned or I've mentioned before about. Europe, for example, regulating American big tech. Um, 
I mean, the U.S. Uh, is potentially in a, a period of declining power with China rising, I mean, uh, and, and things like that. Um, but, oh gosh, where was I going with this? But yeah, going back to like Liber- United Front, it's going to be hard because all these other countries, all these other allies, U.S. allies are are pursuing their own interests. And maybe it should be that uh, the U.S. should embrace. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, you know, um, parlaying what uh, Rackman says uh, to you. I mean, sorry, excuse me, what Rackman, what Rackman says in this article to you, to the, um, in his op-ed to you. Um, um, maybe the U.S. should embrace the fact that uh, um, the the cooperation with U.S. with with allies should grow rather than rather than it, excuse me rather than it being um, U.S. led. So this is kind of a counter argument to that foreign policy article I was talking about just now. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I'm going to quote this passage from the, from the from this op-ed. But basically, um, the 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 um, or I'm going to you know talk about a little bit about it. Um, basically the. The guy who coined the phrase of liberal international order says that now that uh, liberal internationalism needs to be separated from American hegemony. So maybe it's true. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a... Maybe the U.S. will continue to play a less central... Or, or, or in terms of leadership, they will play sort of a... Not as strong a role as before. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, I was reading. Uh, I mean, see, this, this reminds me. So, I I was a um, a student of international relations and international political economy in, in college and university, and I I, re- I distinctly remember something about international relations and international power. Or excuse me, uh, international uh, the projection of power on the international stage between different countries. Um, that normally there's one hegemon, then it's too difficult to like. There's a one one super strong empire and then it gets it gets too difficult to maintain then it becomes like a bunch of multilateral multilateral uh, it's not multilateral but like a bunch of multiple powers or, or like uh two powers etc etc it's, it's sort of a very cyclical thing so maybe we're moving to a stage where the u.s isn't the one on, only world power anymore but it's still powerful i don't I, I do not think there's any controversy in saying that so um yeah, who knows? I, I mean, we'll, we'll find out the in the days and months and years going forward what's going to happen. Uh, before I forget, I just want to mention that this article here that, um, okay, so this other article from the FT, but basically it mentions that uh, tariffs, Chinese, Chinese tariffs are likely to stay, according to them, because of um, uh, their just animosity against uh, China on, on both. It's, it's bipartisan. So even if tariffs come down on uh, on um, on with the uh, U.S. and its between the U.S. and its allies, uh, some believe that tariffs on China are lucky to stay. There's just a lot of bipartisan hostility towards China at this moment. So, yeah, uh, who knows? I mean, it's going to be hard, uh, and it looks like this. I mean, we're definitely. Uh, the U.S. is definitely in a, a sort of a, uh, trade and technology cold war with China. I mean, that's not a that's not a, anything controversial to say at this point. But I wonder where the rest of the world stands. The rest of the world is just trying to, I guess, they're being. I mean, they're being pragmatic. They're 
they're uh, they're pursuing their own interests. Even the even Europe and Australia, which are staunch U.S. allies, are pursuing their own interests. But and it's trying to play to both 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 well, world powers. You know, I, I wonder had Trump not been elected, if we had gone this route, and I wonder. You know, I mean, I wonder if the damage has been done. I mean, if we could have avoided all this and, you know, maintained the same U.S.-led, you know, united front uh, going forward, I, I wonder if, you, if that would have been maintained if uh, if Trump didn't win. And I wonder if Biden wants to or, or is willing to or even wants to reverse what Trump has done. Because as I forget which, I forget which article here, but one of them was talking about how uh, as the 2016 le- election proved, there's a big there's a big chunk of the electorate that you know that is d- basically protectionist. So, when you have that, Europe. If you're a politician, you have to, you know, you have to uh, listen to your constituents, and this is this is the this this is the flaw of, of democracy sometimes. And so, I mean, my opinion is this: like everyone needs to retrain, no matter who you are in the world, where you're from. Everyone needs to be needs to retrain. So. This huge uh, lobby of people who like um, want their manufacturing jobs back, it's never really coming back. Like, and I remember reading an article from, uh, and I don't know if I've mentioned it in this podcast, but uh, when Trump was elected, I read an article by someone who was like, you know, who made it from the Rust Belt and became a coastal elite in the U.S. And he was saying, like, guess what? The days of you dropping out of high school, and he's referring to these people who are who who like voted for Trump, the days of you. Um, Dropping out of high school and getting a nice, paying, high-paying job in the U.S. auto factory—it's never coming back. And you know what? I agree with that. That's not fair. It's not fair to like everyone else in the world who has to retrain. Like, like, like a lot of these, like, look at all these white-collar workers who are leaving their white-collar jobs and becoming programmers. They—they're retraining. Like everyone retrains, you know. Um, in the Philippines, people have retrained into different uh, sectors for business process outsourcing, for example. Um, me myself, I am like a super white-collar person. I went from working in a in a private bank to being a content creator, right? Which I think is a good call now that we're in the age of uh, content is everything. Hashtag content is everything. But yeah, everyone has to retrain. So why does this why does this group of people have so much power over U.S. politics, which in turn has so much uh, influence over global uh, global economic um, social economic um, issues and political issues? It's ridiculous and. For me, like, and this is why I keep pushing for the U.S. to have a, a national economic strategy, where everyone is retrained, retrained, and there's a, there's a, there's a something, there's a, um, there's a path that the U.S. can follow, that people can, there can follow. And uh, I'm sorry if you're not from the, from, if you're not from the U.S., but uh, a lot of my about over over fifty percent of my listeners are from the U.S. Um, based on analytics, so I, I tend to, I tend to talk about the U.S. a lot, but. That goes for every country. I think everyone. I think we should all be friends and, uh, um, at least at least everyone, uh, that isn't China, uh, we should all be friends and uh, you know, we, we're, we're talking past each other at this point. We we have to come together and you know hold hands, sing kumbaya, you know, dance around a rainbow and like hammer out like long term uh, shared economic policies and economic gro- growth because. Uh, shared global wealth and prosperity is the key to world peace, in my opinion. So yeah, that's there, there we go. This ended up being a very heavy episode, but I had to talk about it because it was in the news, and I'm, yeah.
Um, maybe next week I'll talk about something a bit lighter, maybe something more pop culture-ish. But anyways, uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening to the Global Urban Professional Podcast. Uh, if you like what you listen to, um, please subscribe. The links are in, are in the description. And please read the GUP webcomic, the Global Urban Professional webcomic. Uh, that is really uh, what I'm, I'm pushing because that's, uh, that's sort of the big thing for um, uh, my brand and IP. All right. Uh, thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.